gang! It's Nick Flanagan Weekly. It's back. I'm back. We're back. This is happening. Let's not talk yet about why it takes me so long to do a podcast, especially when it's an interview. But that's what today's interview is. That's what's important, is I'm back, and I have an interview with you. I apologize for taking a while, maybe a month, since my last episode, but something is empirically better than nothing. That's just a fact. Look, I've got excuses, okay? I want to make it clear this is an excuse-friendly show. For inst- And that's a two-way street. If you didn't get a chance to listen to, to the last episode I did, uh, you can just send me an email explaining the excuse. Uh, weeklypodcast at gmail.com. W-E-A-K-L-Y podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can do that. I want to hear. I want to know why you weren't able to. So I give you my excuse. Here's mine. The interviews. It's the interviews. I just have a hard time going through all the steps of an interview, edit, edit, session. Because it's not just one thing, it's like several steps. And uh, my brain is fun, and uh, sometimes taking one step is hard, and then sometimes taking the next step is hard, and sometimes taking the step after that is hard. So when there's multiple steps like this, might take a minute. Work in progress. I'm going to find someone to edit these interviews. It's the ADHD golden rule. Delegate. Delegate everything. That's how Richard Branson made his fortune. You can do the solo episodes. Those are fine. I'll just delegate the other stuff to some magical person. I'm hitting Craigslist as soon as I can after this. Hey, do you want a small honorarium to uh, minorly edit a podcast interview with the cool person hit me up and then someone will and then the problem will be solved so that's what's going to happen in the future anyway it's not important what is important is i'm talking to darren paltrowitz he's an author he's a private detective private investigator i think they like to be called but you know detective sounds cooler and he hosts a couple of podcasts one is called the paltrow cast not to be confused with Goop or Gwyneth, nothing to do with her. I don't think her original name is Paltrowitz, although it's entirely possible, frankly. I'm mean, going to have to look that up after. Anyway, one of his podcasts is called The Paltrowitz, and the other one is called The DLR Cast, and uh, it is about David Lee Roth. And he's kind of into David Lee Roth, so much so that he has a brand new book called DLR Book about David Lee Roth and his uh, life during, before, and after Van Halen and the people who worked with him on various projects, including Eddie Van Halen, including a lot of interesting musicians from the 80s and beyond. And it's and lots of crazy connections to everybody from uh, the dude uh, John Taffer who hosts Bar Rescue to uh, Steve Vai to many other people. So if you're a fan of uh, rock history from about seven, 1978 to 2000, you're going to have fun. And he wrote this book, the DLR book. It's available on Amazon. I've included a link in the podcast notes, and I hope you check it out. But I also hope you enjoy the uh, interview we did. We talk about David Lee Roth. We talk about uh, a lot of other things. 
and Darren's kind of, I don't know if it's a love-hate or love-frustration relationship with Roth. Uh, Roth. It's weird calling David Lee Roth Roth. DLR. I mean, very influential singer, right? Peaks and valleys. One of the ultimate peaks and valleys. Not necessarily in his life, which is kind of a cloudy thing, everything about what his life is like. But musically, here's a guy who was on some of the most highest-selling, critically lauded albums of all time. Major inf influential front man. His energy was unmatched. <laughs> unless there are people... Unless people are on certain drugs, then I think they can match his energy. But he did the kicks. When I started being a lead singer, I didn't realize how much I was influenced by David Lee Roth. My friends Allison and Jamie, who was, I was in bands early with, were obsessed with people like with David Lee Roth and singers like him. And I think he psychically imbued himself, in my style at least, and probably the style of many other people who didn't really know how to play instruments and wanted to front a band. Um, but yeah, so then he was in radio. Anyway, we talk about all of that. We talk about Mr. Big. We talk about all kinds of things, and I really think you'll enjoy it. So we go to a million different places, and I'm just going to move on up to our chat. Here is my talk with Darren Paltowitz, writer of DLR book and co-host of the DLR cast host of the Paltrocast. Paltrocast? Yes, it's called Paltrocast. All right, enjoy. Can I give you a compliment because we're on the record? Sure, yeah. So I first found out about you early 2000s when I saw you open for Neil Hamburger at Pianos in New York City. Oh my God, that was and the first time I think I ever opened for Neil Hamburger. And you had this awesome stand-up thing where you were basically reading from your journal or reading from your diary, super <laughs> deadpan. And you could tell that everyone in the audience either loved it or had no idea what was going on, like, like a typical Neil Hamburger show. Like, it's the perfect audience, but you killed amongst the people who wanted to see that. So after that, I'm seeing your stuff popped up and I went, wait, that's the Danko Jones guy? <laughs> that same guy who has personality? And then I realized it was a gimmick. You know, being a wrestling fan, you realize gimmicks. So yeah. you know, the kind words for you. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, it's it's funny about the gimmick thing. Like I've had I at some point I just had to be more me on stage, but since uh, 2018, the book is in full effect again. I am just performing with this book all the time, and I'm doing the same kind of thing, and I'm trying to be, I mean, I'm ridiculous. It's, I'm just not as filthy as before, I think. you know. It was I, definitely filthy back then. Because <laughs> <laughs> there were different times, different times. Yeah, so I, I love the comedy that's either so over the top, these are one-liner jokes, or comedy where you know that there's something happening on another level and it's funny on a few levels. Like, yeah. Or when it's both of them. So with Dice Clay, it's supposed to be direct in your face, but then you realize it's a character. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and so I'm into that. And you were kind of that or at least you were at the beginning of that and the I, think, Lord, I think i still go for for that you know i think i think i'm i'm very sorry to interrupt um yeah. I, I i'm very aware that uh um the 
the uh, the most authentic persona in comedy is still a gimmick. It's all a gimmick. It's all work. It's I got into I so now I have to rudely interrupt you. That's um, not rude, but go on. I got on Christmas Eve with an unnamed person an argument where they were telling me, "Oh, wrestling, that stuff's fake." And this person's a, an alleged alleged former headlining comedian who was <laughs> inebriated beyond belief. Kevin Brennan. I'm just kidding. I'll tell you off, Mike. I'll, I'll tell you sure. off the air. And yeah. I said to him, well, comedy is also fake. He's like, no, these are the things that happened to me. I'm like, yeah, but you, if you've told that same story hundreds of times, you then change the details. You're also not reliving it with your fake laughter. That's fake laughter that you use as your pause. So comedy is fake in a good way. Wrestling yeah. is fake. A lot of Stallone movies are fake. Um, the the heavier the metal band, the more likely they're just a sm- bunch of smiley bros who play golf off stage. Metal is fake, but if you can see it for what it is, it's great. I mean, hip hop has a, has is fake. Yes. I mean, it, like not fake, fake, but you know, it's it, it, it's especially you know. Actually, there's this thing in hip hop where people lately have been really trying to skirt the lines of fake, and they get arrested for murders based on their lyrics. Who would have thought Bobby Shmurda would get arrested for murder? I mean, you know that song that that big hit he had that I don't feel comfortable saying the name of. Yes, um, w- was like, oh, that's such an amazing song, Hot Man. It's, yeah, I mean, he had he Hot Guy. Yeah, but but like, uh, he was like the tip of the iceberg because even there it was like, yeah, he got arrested for murder. But even there, the lyrics were like really vague. There's a guy in Vancouver who just got arrested, a rapper for murdering guys where they he was like describing the actions and the gun he used. Oh, nice in Edmonton, I think. And um, the OJ, if I did it, but but if it came out at the time before, will I do it? <laughs> oh man. I'm doing it. Live I find that the, the hardest rappers are the one who don't talk about the hard life. So for example, Hammer. snow. Snow is super hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's from he like Rexdale. Yeah, he went and to jail at, for was it for murder? I mean I think it, I think I think it, think it was, was for, I think that was the whole thing was like he went to jail for murder and then he wrote a song. That was like, we'll kill informers when he got out of jail. <laughs> I didn't make that connection. I just know he he was in jail when informer went to number one. So that right. and because he didn't have a passport that he could travel on, he didn't get to tour or reap any of the benefits of having a number one global kind of thing for a lot of years. Yeah, but that's probably good because it probably uh, kept the sort of floodgates of white uh toronto-based reggae artists uh you know uh the bottleneck started and then they could just file in in a more orderly fashion uh but you know of course it's it's quite silly for me to even make fun of white reggae artists because like one of the big uh you know misconceptions is like what jamaica isn't just black people it's actually got asian people and white people and they, they all speak with you know caribbean jamaican accents so it's like they could do reggae if they wanted to yeah um, chris, ba- 
Chris Blackwell could exploit everybody. I mean, greatest yeah. patois of all time, a Caribbean you know, dialect would have to be Adrian Brody and the Saturday Night Live. Oh. <laughs> That's where I only watched that over the pandemic. I mean, I only Steven discovered I love me the Steven Seagal uh, regular the movie. Uh, no, I haven't Seagal. seen that. Seegs, uh, as I like to call him. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what his friends call him. Yeah, yeah, Stevie, Stevie. Yeah. Um, he he had two or three soul albums. One of them is very reggae tinged, and uh, look up uh, Steven Seagal's uh, reggae accent. It's you're gonna love it, Nick. Oh my god, I'm surprised I haven't seen it. Well, you host the podcast too, right? I co-host one, and then I personally host one. Uh, I host one that's the Paltrow cast with Darren Paltrowitz, which I also use for TV outlets. And I tape interviews for that five, six days a week. And then I co-host Amazing. one with Steve Roth, no relation that it's about David Lee Roth. It's called the mm-hmm. DLR cast. And right. uh, it's, it's a lot of work. You, you think it's going to be a lot of work, I should say to find content about David Lee Roth. But then he puts out missives like the one he did yesterday. And you're like, okay, that solidifies us for another two or three months. What did he send out yesterday? Oh, man, you haven't seen this? No, no, I'm out of the loop on David. Okay. I'm, I'm like a... Uh, I, I love David Lee Roth, but, you know, I've I've fallen in and out of era. And definitely in the early 2000s when I was like... McBeans oh, yeah. were just starting and I, you know, even into 2010, really. Like I was like really into Van Halen, obviously. And I, I, I'm interested in uh the song You Really Got Me as a divisive uh topic because you, I think in your book you wrote that that's is that the one that was divisive? I think someone was well, jump, jump was jump divisive. divisive. Keyboards oh. made it divisive. Yeah, there, there's a lot of divisive in general. The more you get into daily, <laughs> basically, yesterday he he on and off the last fifteen ish years on and off has had a podcast that he calls the Roth Show, and I, it's probably his response to getting fired from FM radio in the mid two thousands when he's yes. taking Howard Stern. He's I remember probably, all that. Yeah, well, I can have my own thing and I could do what I want. And Dave, when he does what he wants, is sometimes brilliant, and it's sometimes the worst, most misguided things ever. And what went up yesterday, in my humble opinion, is one of the worst things he could have ever done. <laughs> they put up this 25-minute video. Uh, it's, it's like a photo slideshow with just him talking. And occasionally, his audio engineer pipes in and be like, isn't that right, Tom? Yeah, Dave. Uh, that happened. <laughs> And then he calls his business manager in the middle of it. And to sum it up for you in less than 60 seconds, he slags Eddie Van Halen to no end, uh, you know, speaking of the dead and like putting out all these bombshells about Eddie's divorce and addictions and problems. Oh God. He says horrible things about Alex Van Halen. Aww. He says really bad stuff about Sammy Hagar. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then talks about how he spent $92,000 at a dispensary and how he's a wake and bake guy and how Costco should sell weed and like Bob's big boy. And it had salads and does he live in California? Most of the time he seems to be in Pasadena and the house he grew up in, which was a manor, uh, a manor and a state uh, mansion (laughs) that he bought from his dad, not the 
Yes, so, I know. I mean, I've, I've, unfortunately, I couldn't get through uh, all the pages of the book, but you were kind enough to send me a PDF. And uh, my God, I am, uh, is right up my alley. And, and, you know, the way, the way you're writing about it, with, you know, in the book, um, with sidebars are very necessary with someone like David Lee Roth. Real facts I've learned. I mean, just the stuff you know about, um, people of note who've started their jobs owning bars like i might have known that john taffer from bar rescue uh ran the troubadour but like it had just sort of gone in one ear and out the other and then reading yours i was like wait that's completely insane because i was like there's no way the troubadour had good food is there (laughs) because he's always like the fries What's wrong with the fries? I'm, if I'm going to guess about the Troubadour, you would probably give them your rider of what you want for catering and food, and they go, nah, bro, here's a buyout. Here's 15 <laughs> bucks. Go get yourself a hot dog. Yeah, they, yeah. They, w- they would go out of their way to not give you what's on your catering rider. <laughs> I mean, the Troubadour in the 1980s was probably... I'd like to find out what, at what point... I guess, is that where Guns N' Roses performed, though, a bit early on? I'm trying to remember if that it would was... more likely be a whiskey, a go-go. Yeah, I I listened to Duff's book, uh, his the audio t- book, and I I can't remember Duff Duff McKagan of. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> not the I, other Duff. I had a little while where it looked like I was going to work with Duff because oh. my old friend published Duff's first book, and she invited me to this really limited book release. Mm-hmm. in this ritzy place i had no business being in and mm-hmm. so i knew that duff has this company that does wealth management and duff himself right. knows everything about royalties so i started uh, once i got time with him and i was just went up to him and i started talking numbers with them and and like publishing he's goes take down my number and my email address so i have a book up there behind me where i like wrote down his stuff and then mm-hmm. he kind of off but uh i thought for a little while like i've got it this future i'm gonna be working for duff mckagan's wealth management company because <laughs> you're like duff's the cool one duff's <laughs> the legit guy duff's the guy who who says what he means and means what he says and it's like no he's got he's a he's a musician guy who has nine yes. different businesses and on top of that is like all about mastering something and moving on <laughs> yeah know? Yeah, he's in that category of people you think are extremely relatable and approachable, and they they make the world's best first and second impression on you, and you're probably never going to see them ever again. Yeah, there's so many people like that. Um, and then the ones who make the worst impressions, somebody seen the most. Usually, yeah, I, I think that if you have a friendship with me, it's a slow burn where mm. I make a usually a bad first and or second impression and then you realize oh no the guy did actually show up when he said he was going to show up he did send me a holiday card oh he did wish <laughs> me a happy birthday oh he's not so bad <laughs> it's no i mean part. that was i i responded immediately i said i thought that i'm not sure if i actually was on the danko podcast with you no i wasn't on there with yes. you but i interviewed him a few times about stuff and i think we talked about you or we were talking about the regal beagle a little bit i I think it was something too where like it was in between episodes that i was co-hosting so i was very aware of it 
you know, or I listened to it. I, I'm not sure. But either way, uh, yeah, once you got a hold of me and uh, when I saw the the subject matter and stuff, I was like, oh, well, this is a, a must. This is a must I'm gonna, do. I'm going to put Danko in that category that, like, he's not the the friendliest initially person because he's a shy person. Yeah. But quiet. once it's established that you like Van Halen and Kiss – that guy seems like he'd be your best friend for life. He'd be on text threads with him. He'd share memes, but it's a barrier to get there. Am I wrong about that? No, that's, I mean, that's it exactly with him. He's someone who uh, I think shared interests and obviously a sense of humor about all of it. And uh, it's really important to him. And uh, it really helps him come out of his, his, his shell or whatever. He's not really in a shell, but it's just that it's, he's a, he's, I mean, you wrote in the book about people who are uh, very serious people. A lot of the, uh, you know, biggest names who sometimes present whimsy or fun, like David Lee Roth, you know, yeah. uh, are, are, I'm going to say this, at times, probably, very focused, you know, at their best. They're incredibly focused, incredibly serious individuals. And I mean, yes. I don't think that Danko is necessarily um, like always like that but certainly he takes his music incredibly seriously you but know, is he friends with duff mckagan or duff is a fan of his so it comes full circle i think it's uh, i i wouldn't be surprised i mean i don't know that yeah. you know it's i i think is also like a really good example of someone who is uh a fan you know who is also doing exactly the music he wants you know kind of like damien big fan uh from fucked up yeah like Damien for fucked up as well. Uh, you know, these, the, these are our people. Um, well, yes. Like, I mean, I do this stuff too and I'm, I'm a huge fan, you know, like, and, and yeah. uh, I never saw too much of a distinction. Part of that is starting in like punk and hardcore where, yeah. you know, um, it just, uh, the idea of, of, and, and, you know, Danko started that way too, in a lot of ways, Yeah, like just in, 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 so, and Damien obviously too. So, so the idea that you aren't completely in awe, but also, uh, what would the word be? You want to do, you are doing the thing, like, it, you know, you love these people and you do have that kind of awkward energy that you exude when someone who you admire is, is around you. Uh, not you, but just like the, the Oh no, uh, I, I do. I, yeah. I'm, um, I'm the friend that the comedians and musicians don't tell everyone is the friend, but they go, is this a good idea? Yeah. Yeah. And that's but, but the thing is that I'm, I would have that for like a very, uh, uh, unfamous, like, like a cult figure, as much as I would have that for, uh, you know a really famous person i'm just if i admire something someone does it's like i'm kind of like wow what's your deal like by admire i mean have that kind of like uh lightning lightning bolt moment you know which uh totally still want to get you know it's hard to get that um but but just getting back to the dlr thing because i haven't even talked about it yet you wrote oh. it. Hey, it, it's such a pleasure to connect with you and the compliments will keep coming, but it's your interview, yeah. whatever you want. No, I, I I will throw you compliments. I mean, I, I just yeah. think your your writing and journalism style is, uh, it's just right up my alley. It's very readable. And of Thank course, you. it's really passion driven, this, this book. And um, 
it it's uh you've got a unique sense uh series a group of challenges particularly that you only have like one david lee from what i understand you have one david lee roth interview to sort of go on like you spoke with him like one time basically yeah. every as other a time. teenager yeah. yeah but it was it was a, a good interview and you. uh uh you got a lot out of it and you've talked to like all of these surrounding people like so many surrounding people yeah and on top of that yeah. yeah you've you've uh you've researched heavily you've looked for uh bootleg uh performances uh projects that never came out which is it, probably yeah. there's so many of those that that yes. you know because he's he's obviously this this very sort of scattershot uh uh, performer he has a lot of different his skills are applicable in many different formats and he's yes. willing to try all of those formats you know for better because... and for worse he's willing to try anything for better and for worse yeah uh, whether he sticks with it whether it's a good end result is debatable but i think that when he's great he's the best and when it's bad it is the worst so if you, if you go for an album like your filthy little mouth from 94 and there's a right. reggae song on it that should not exist no one should have put out a david lee roth reggae song no, uh, it, uh, izzy stradlin leave it to izzy stradlin <laughs> he, yeah he's the, the, hounds. The, the juju zombies was it the hounds or the zombies they were exactly like uh like Rolling Stones, Keith, like he was doing the Keith Richards thing so hard that I think they were like opening for like solo Keith Richards shows or Stones shows. Yeah. Uh, Izzy's cool anyway. I, if you could, he's you could cool. Yeah. He's got the most integrity, arguably, of any member of Guns N' Roses because he walked away at their peak and he never felt yeah. the need to explain himself. And he just rode around the country on a motorcycle. And yeah. he was, you know, Axel's friend from Indiana. So that's, that's, uh, I don't want and to say then also he, he kind of comes and goes like he just sort of yeah. has the run of the place like I don't know if it's still like that but he's just like popped up on random Guns N' Roses tours you know since then and I think and uh uh I went on to like a slight deep dive about I Izzy after reading that uh that book do, do you call anyway, him Jeff? what you call him Jeff yeah um, there, there's some celebrities where I just I figure, like, let's modify their first name or what you call them. So, <laughs> my wife and I don't say Rob Zombie; we say Bob Zombie or Bobby Zombie. <laughs> and I think we took that from Tim and Eric. They they used to say yeah. that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so, if you change it up, you know, Izzy Stradlin's real name is is Jeffrey or Jeff. That's and I think uh, Zach Wild is also a Jeff. So <laughs> you change it up, Jeff. Jeff is the most changed name in rock. <laughs> Guitar gods are named Jeff. Um, yeah, well, there's Jeff Beck. That's the one. That's, that's true. Uh, Jeff Skunk yeah. Baxter. Oh, yeah, yeah. So maybe the 70s you could be Jeff. 80s, it was out. It was out. I have a good friend who's a Guns N' Roses diehard. And mm -hmm. when we're talking about Slash, I mean, you mean Saul? Yeah. You just throw out the Saul thing. And, of course, Iggy is James. Oh, Jim. Bob. Jim Although I've heard yeah. he does actually use Jim in his everyday life. And an old friend who I worked with, who's a mastering guy, he owned a restaurant in the 90s and Iggy Pop would show up all the time and he'd call him, hey, table for two for Jim. 
So yeah, I, I think uh, Iggy Pop is Jim, but I, I mean don't... I would rather call myself Jim than Iggy all the time. I think, although that's fine. Iggy's fine. Iggy's a fine name. But what about Some... Izzy versus Jeff? Would you rather be an Izzy or a Jeff? I think. Izzy, I'd, I'd rather be Izzy. Izzy is very different than Iggy to me. Iggy sounds like a child. Izzy sounds like you're walking out of a cloud of fucking fog, you know, yeah. and smoke, and 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 you're just like you have a guitar in your hands, and you know you're you're really going nuts. Um, but yeah, so DLR. So you're a teen. So 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 Van Halen for you must have been life-changing uh not that... not as much as you think i think you and i have a very similar musical path or mm. i was to top 40 until a certain age until i became more of a punk rock yeah guy that is uh, similar and in terms of my top 40 you know when i was nine ten years old van halen motley crew poison was top 40 and yeah. by the time grunge happened I I think I was out of music. I didn't really like Nirvana and Pearl Jam until like five years ago. I loved Alice in Chains. I liked Soundgarden, but I did not like Nirvana or Pearl Jam. I was kind of out of music, super into NBA and wrestling and, mm. and sports. Then Green Day happened, and that was the gateway drug to, to learn like, oh, bad religion. Oh, the misfits. Well, who inspired mm. them? And then once I got into Weezer, it's like, well... Who's like Weezer but better? And then I got into this band called Super Drag, and I realized that Super Drag is just a knockoff of Teenage Fan Club and Big Star <laughs> and Cheap Trick and the Zombies. And then you go, but who inspired the Zombies? And I kept working back. I became a music obsessive. So I loved Van Halen. They were on my radar, but I didn't become a deep cut guy until 10 ish years ago. I, I thought they were cool. I loved Dave's humor. But I didn't super dig into the music, if that makes sense. I love the personality, but I didn't love Yankee Rose and all that other stuff until much later on. Yeah, I actually hadn't listened to Yankee Rose, uh, and I put it on a couple days ago after reading. In, in Spanish or English? English, and unfortunately. And uh, I was trying to get the, the spit. I was trying to find some songs, but I was asking for them on like Google Nest, and they don't. It doesn't know how to hear words that well. Oh, in my experience, I'm using a very old one that I got for free and uh, from Spotify during a promotion. And I'm a YouTube music guy now. I do the YouTube. You do what you want to do. This is my my paid promotion. If you're going to go this route, get YouTube premium family plan. It gives you YouTube music. It's not as smart as Spotify, but but it scours the video archives as well for the music. Mm-hmm. So you have access. Use coupon code Flanagan for 20% off. <laughs> code Flanagan. <laughs> I also have some knives I'm going to sell in a second. And, Your new uh, energy drink is awesome, Nick. I'm a big yeah. fan. And I use Raytheon. coupon code Flanagan. Raycon. Raycon sunglasses. Oh, that you be everywhere. It's purple mattress, uh, Raycon earbuds, and... I mean, it's very. I I I'm getting obsessed with YouTube uh, stuff about scams, and now there's a lot of stuff that's about scam advertisers, mm-hmm. and and I I gather that a lot of these podcast hosts are working through an intermediary who's handing them 
sponsors and then they're kind of okay you know they're okaying it and and they're just some of the most some some very integrity driven people are giving some ad reads for shabby stuff it's 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 just horrible it's like if on community radio you suddenly had to be like okay guys well uh you know glad glad bag toilet uh bags are <laughs> don't worry about flushing your toilet anymore put a bag in your toilet and they're uh they're chrome and uh they put a chrome laced bag made in czechoslovakia this is not a china bag china this is not a china bag because that's i was finding out about this this blade company that people advertise and the whole thing is they talk about they they make it seem like they're in japan but they're made in china but then also it's like they make a big deal about japanese steel but actually steel grades are very consistent (laughs) over the world so it's just like everyone is trying to like get these kind of perceptions going and almost all of them i think are not all of them, but a lot of them are like just drop shipping or doing the established titles thing. Did you hear about oh, established yeah. titles? That yeah. Whole thing? Do you have come up the guys who go like, I can make you $80,000 a month through a Shopify stores? Uh, no, I don't get those guys. I well, because I have ad free YouTube. Don't forget, that's part of oh, why I got coupon YouTube. Code, <laughs> coupon code Flanagan. Yeah, code Flanagan. You won't get a discount, but like, uh, you know, I might get another. Uh, I might get a, you know, maybe a, a few more, a little more in the algorithm. Sure. Uh, but, um, the the uh, uh, the I don't really get. I I'm obsessed now with Facebook's kind of. I I kind of think the Facebook Shorts are some of the most attuned to my brain things mm-hmm. however every fourth one is an ai fraudulent yes elon musk or uh joe rogan someone saying did you hear about mr beast he created a new casino app that everyone and and i'm just like how is this how is this legal? Like, like these are like literally just making an AI version of a guy and saying they do an app that someone in Ukraine, Russia, you know, is, oh. is doing, and you know, yeah, I, I, I get those just like you, and yeah. the telltale sign to me that it's a fake thing or it's not legit is when you hear a like a great female voiceover and they say in the USA. And you go, okay, no American ever says in USA. Americans don't call it USA. The second you hear it, you go, okay, that's that's Eastern Europe. No, I love it so much. I mean, I watch those all the way through these AI ones because I'm just like Mr. Beast, you know, and someone being like, like the Elon Musk ones are crazy. There's one now. First of all, they'll show someone on like CBC News. So they're like targeting it countrywide in Canada. And yeah. it's going like, they'll be like, Nobody wants to know about Elon. The government doesn't want you to know about Elon Musk's new initiative. And they'll show him at a thing being like, I want to give you money. I think that everyone loves to get money so that they are comfortable in their skin and also their family is covered. However, this is not something that the general government uh, bodies want to have happen. And so I've. <laughs> it so, sounds like the Homer Simpson gummy Venus de, uh, de Milo uh, flashback. 
<laughs> where you can see like the clock like uh, behind him while he's yeah, doing yeah. <laughs> I do not touch like, it's kind of like that is happening and that's legal so it'll be curious it'll be interesting to see in a couple of years if it becomes illegal if there's more legislation on what you can and can't advertise using AI yeah I mean I uh I definitely think that's got to be fast-tracked. I mean, at this point, the amount of things that can be messed with with AI and, you know, the the, the average North American um, ah, mixture of, like, gullibility and desperation <laughs> is, is uh, pretty high. So, like, people are uh, – you really don't want to think it, but there are people getting – tricked by this yeah i look i'm a, a private investigator that's how i earn my real living my yeah. a job is that and i regularly almost get tricked by things because you know even job placement agencies even that's a scam that goes on yeah yeah fake invoices it, it really is targeting the weak which i think is maybe the biggest sin that you could commit in the world up uh, okay no it's not worse than murder okay whatever uh, i'm just saying murder targets the weak let's but, face it you know the calling up somebody and saying hey your bank account was uh was charged this much and if you give me this thing we can look it up and make sure that it's it's not you know a scam and that turns out that is a scam and you're doing that on senior citizens or the hey i got a dui bail me out you know all that is the epitome of evil. So unfortunately, no, I agree with you. can use AI to enhance all that. So the whole I'm your grandson and I'm gonna I'm yes. in jail and send the thing. That's something people are doing. They're calling elderly. My mother gets she's she's like she's been like just out of I mentioned that that was a thing, and she's like, Oh, I get those calls all the time. Mom, grandma, you know, and it's like, oh my god. And and on top of that, but this is what's this is what I'm talking about. Desperation and gullibility are are we're at a high point for that. So the amount of people doing what you were calling the epitome of evil is yeah. uh, really high. AI or not, I mean, and people are so desperate. I, they always have been, but like for direction and for. Uh, comfort like succor or whatever like being told it's going to be okay that they're doing this this drop shipping thing you're talking about is one of the scams yeah uh, it, there's so many garbage garbage people and garbage things going on and you know what can you really depend on uh, the first six van halen albums <laughs> uh, there, there's very few things that everybody universally should go this is good uh the Korean Wi-Fi. From Wi-Fi, water, um, th things like that, birthday cakes. Um, mm. It's not a growing list of things that everybody likes. But again, for six fans, everything bagel seasoning. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> you know, not everyone likes sushi because some people hate fish, which is a shame. But yeah, they're missing out. They're missing they, out. They're missing out. Not everyone drinks alcohol, so that's a limited thing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. but but yeah um so just quickly about with van halen i i uh i grew up a little bit later so i was seeing kind of everything 
at once and it was quite confusing so i was you know couldn't handle california girls or he was already sort of seeming in that late 80s early 90s kind of like ridiculous figure thing yes uh, that david uh, that david lee roth was in um I've, you know when i did see videos right now like it was van hagar when i was growing up and and when right now came out and i was about mm-hmm. 10 maybe uh i was like oh yeah this is cool this is like uh yeah right now is uh, it is cool i was like this is like uh one of these social commentary songs you know <laughs> then they it did the clear like pepsi that. commercial totally and and uh yeah so so uh but then i kind of backtracked again when i was like 13 i think there was a record i got into buying records so you know i was just nat and i had older friends who told me that you know what old popular music that they liked they liked like bruce springsteen and i think van halen so i went and i bought the first van halen i bought was women and children first which is a weird wow thing that's a weird it was, it was for sale uh at the vinyl museum this old uh record store in in down the street from where i lived and uh you know it was like a dollar record and i obviously that was probably the money i had and so you know, it was, and I, I was like, this is okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that is nobody's gateway to Van Halen. No, because it's not really a guitar record off top. You know, no. it, it's like a keyboard-ish record, and it's very vocal-driven, right? Cradle Will Rock, that's like, is that on that? Cradle Will Rock is on that, I think. Yeah. And the Cradle. But 1984, I, I never owned. But I owned the first two, you know? Uh, records eventually and uh, i i wound up loving david lee roth and then when i was listening to howard stern as a as a teenager when it first mm-hmm. popped up in toronto you know he was going on every once in a while and i was sort of like kind of into him you know like uh i i liked him and and then i was there for that whole weird kind of feudish all the simmering feud with van halen with yeah. howard stern when he took over 96 yeah yeah um so yeah i mean i i and i always got a a kick out of him for sure and then i, I there's so many contradictions that's the thing with him yes he like smokes he'd always have pictures like smoking cigs and stuff but he was like a karate guy um, exactly exactly you you you've picked up on that and i'm glad that you've picked <laughs> up on that I'm, I'm not being condescending right there because people talk about him being like the picture of fitness because like he he always has a shirt off or the jacket open and he's always shredded and he's doing his acrobatics. Yet every photo he has the Jack Daniels bottle or a cigarette and he's talking about smoking weed endlessly. So you go, yeah, either this guy's pretending to party or he's regularly having lipo. But one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's probably just depending on his day, the day, you know, <laughs> like, I, I think he was pretending to party uh, personally. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of like the person who the they have the one cigarette. And in his case, the one cigarette is during the photo shoot or on stage or that kind of thing. And the one drink is the Jack Daniels on the stage served to him by a little person. It's not Lemmy. It's not like Lemmy where it's like round the clock. Uh... 
I, I don't know with, with Lemmy. Did you ever go to the bar, the Rainbow, in Los Angeles? Yeah, but I never saw him there. I went, I think, once, maybe. I think I went twice. Once before he died. I, they might have both been before he died. I don't really remember. But, uh, yes, I went there. Okay, first time I went there, they were like, wouldn't it be cool if Lemmy came here? And then 10 minutes later, Lemmy walks in, sits in the trivia machine at the bar. And you're like, what? I thought they were kidding. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was here every single night. And on one hand, I can imagine anytime you get something for free and you can have it every day, at first you indulge to the max because you go, it's, it's free. Awesome. Yeah. And then eventually you go, nah, it's okay. Been there, done that. But then you hear the Lemmy party stories of what he was still doing in his 60s. And you go, maybe he did love that life of the rainbow uh, walking down from his apartment, being on tour, and the occasional uh, indulgence with other stuff. Maybe he never got tired of it. But most of the people who I think of who are synonymous with partying eventually don't, but they have to keep up the image that they do. So like when you see Rick from Cheap Trick and you see him going manic on stage, he hasn't had a drink in what, like 25 years or something? Yeah. Yeah, but if Rick Nielsen then just stood there, you'd be super disappointed. Yeah, yeah, and and you know the uh, I don't know what the ACDC situation is, but I would imagine not drinking. Yeah, that's just like a corporation at this point, you know, like just oh yeah, you know, and and uh, the Rolling Stones, it's the same thing, you know. Maybe I think Keith well, is with uh, smoking finally. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Rolling Stones, I'm, I usually believe the exact opposite of what the press release says. So anytime I mean, they, that's true, Ron Wood has been clean for 12 years. You go, okay, so he's in trouble. Got yeah. it. Yeah. He relapsed 12 years ago. Okay, I get it. He hasn't been sober for Yeah, that's, that's how I've learned to take the Stones because I don't believe at this point in time that the Rolling Stones wrote this new album. I think that they bought the songs. You know, smarter people than me have told me that. And I think a lot of these classic bands buy their songs or they go, yeah, cover this. And then they put their name on it or something like that. I'm just always a Stones skeptic because when they talk about, you know, the world's biggest rock and roll band and you go, Show me a Rolling Stones album that sold more than three million copies that wasn't a greatest hits. So how <laughs> are they this best selling band? You're like Exile on Main Street, did it go platinum? I don't know. I mean, probably eventually, but you know, it's oh uh, yeah, like, eventually. That sounds eventually went platinum. Yeah, yeah. Boys didn't sell that many records. They sold singles, but not albums. No, the Rolling Stones um image and and frankly, like early musical quality you know was yeah. was uh what kept them uh relevant and uh they were it's it's interesting right like the who you know who until like the 1970 until the death of keith moon maybe or a bit before were like uh right up there with uh rolling stones maybe you know definitely in the early 70s uh we're a much more arena oriented uh band, I think. Mm-hmm. Their songs were super anthemic. Um 
they just had that sound going you know like that was huge and where the rolling stones it was like they're they're like a bar band you know and 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 so i think they also needed to the beatles needed a a balancing force i think and that was probably part of why their prominence just like stayed you know like they just were such presented as such an opposing thing as the beatles even though they were just all lads from yeah you know yeah places. but that gets weird to me you know being kind of a, a completist and a person who reads way too much and obsessed and all that that mm-hmm. i think the first time that the who ever toured japan was something like 2010 and they're not this all-time classic rock band there and whenever yeah. the stones do these stadium tours overseas their arenas are smaller things and they're not a big deal which makes mm-hmm. you think did they spend all their time in conquering the U.S., Canada, England? So, like, with this Van Halen book, Van Halen talks about itself as one of the biggest bands of all time. And Sammy Hagar, when he gets fired from Van Halen, he goes, like, you just fired the singer of the biggest rock band in the world. But in the mid-'90s, when Van Halen toured Europe, they were opening for Bon Jovi. So explain to me how the special guest opener for Bon Jovi yet the biggest rock band in the world. It's it's total revisionist history. And then you talk to Europeans and to them, Deep Purple is bigger than Led Zeppelin. So I like to find out in each country who the real big bands are. It seems like Kiss is a top five band in Australia, meaning they were bigger in Australia than they were everywhere else. Same Mm -hmm. with Deep Purple. Um, every former member of Deep Purple can tour Russia and Japan as a solo artist. Like, it doesn't matter if you were an 89 Deep Purple, you're a headliner. <laughs> Amazing. And I, I love that obscure kind of stuff. And then you find out, like, Tom Petty couldn't tour Japan. <laughs> you go, but, right. but one of the biggest ever? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, again, it just is the sort of North American uh, kind of centering, I, th- I think, sometimes. You you mentioned someone being a rock god in Japan. I can't remember who it was in that book. It was a uh, super wrestler Konoshiki, or no, it was a it was a, a American guy or a British guy. It wasn't Steve Vai, obviously. It was someone I hadn't really heard of when you were sort of going through DLR's bands. Uh, oh, oh, Billy Sheehan, the bass player for Mr. Big. Yeah, yeah, and and so yeah. is he? He's like huge in Japan. So Mr. Big in the U.S. and Canada. We're conditioned to think to be with you was a number one hit. And then what happened to them? Uh, they Wild did World. Their, That's the you know, only other one I know. Of. Wild World was also a hit. Addicted to the Rush uh, was kind of a hit. They had some soundtracks. They opened for Rush on tour in North America. Yes. But they eventually got dropped and, you know, broke up. And then regrouped and were just doing major label in japan and asia tours and have remained a budokan level band all these years later and so that the (laughs) members of mr big all have solo careers in japan that are viable and here they're playing clubs like their upcoming tour i think the venue they're playing in new york is like a three or four hundred capacity room same thing with extreme extreme like we go okay wholehearted more than words mother and yeah. uh <laughs> m-u-t-h-a mother right, get, right and get the funk out right Those are right great songs that hold up 
Um, <laughs> and then they play Budokan in yeah. Japan and Asia. I think there's a lot of bands that we are conditioned to think of one or two hit kind of bands. Legends over there. But then the inverse is that Poison, who probably had 15 huge hits in America, never toured Europe very much. And I think yeah. they only played Japan in 86 or something. It's because if Poison toured Europe, people would be like, this is horseshit. Um, rock. Poison worked super hard. Amazing work ethic. The performing mm, CC is the only competent guy, in my humble opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's totally true. And uh, I saw only, I think I, I saw him once or twice. There was that like era of the package tour. So I probably saw them, oh, like, yeah. like Cinderella. And I mean, it's probably or still or something. Yeah, yeah. It was at Molson F Theater. And, uh, it's it was a semi miserable day night day you know but it was fun I I loved it because um, it, you could play with the Poison concert bingo you could do a bingo card and you like fake Southern accent by Brett Michaels check yeah yeah Brett Michaels thanking the troops check <laughs> Brett Michaels showing that he could play one song on the acoustic guitar check Brett Michaels showing he could play the harmonica check. You, you can kind of do that thing where he, you're supposed to leave the show going, man, Brett Michaels can do everything, which is a David Lee Roth copy. Because yeah. there's David Lee Roth tours where in 88, where they brought out steel drums in the middle. And so everyone gets behind the steel drums and they do a marching band thing. Mm -hmm. and I thought has, that. <laughs> we wrote about that. Yeah. And, and then he has the harmonica on this song and the acoustic guitar there. And then he dances there and he repels there. So you're supposed and to go scats at some point, probably. You know, yeah. Maybe, yeah. He, he, maybe he steps behind the drum kit to hit one cymbal. And then you're supposed <laughs> to go, wow, he plays eight instruments like Wayne Newton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know Paul Anka actually has a lot of, of, of skills, but I've, I, I worked at Massey Hall in Toronto for a, a while. Really? And yeah, I saw lots of cool shows and I saw, I saw George Jones near the end of his life. That was really weird. And, uh, yeah. you know, Gordon Lightfoot over, over many years and Neil Young and all that stuff. And, and, um, but, but, uh, I saw Paul Anka as well. And it was obviously he's like a Vegas act in, in his, and so he was doing so much shtick and it was just like, you know, he probably played Diana four times or something, including one where he goes, Viagra, you know, oh, no. it's just like, it, 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 I, I just think oh. maybe it's the language the shared language thing, but I feel like the gimmick aspect that you're talking about is just like a lot easier to pull off in, in North America, you know, and like, you kind of have to reimagine it sometimes if you're doing it, I guess that's, what's so impressive, you know, when these bands do those like kind of Rio or South American tours and, you know, it's always metal metal is this sort of, uh, mm -hmm. one that really has global reach. It feels like even Deep Purple kind of like goes into that that category, you know? For sure. Um, bands like Metallica, probably Guns N' Roses too, oddly enough. Like, 
Did yeah, they... their biggest gigs were Rio. Kiss was also a Rio, rock and Rio kind of band. I think Gene Simmons just announced a Brazil tour yesterday, even though Kiss retired. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, they retired really recently, too, if I recall. <laughs> it's like, yeah, within uh, early December, so that's uh, <laughs> six weeks back. He's retired, and he's already booked a Brazilian tour. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought that was like, there was all this interesting stuff. The stuff about Gene Simmons, uh signing van halen to like a development contract of sorts and shopping yeah. their their demo and then uh um when nobody wanted it just like uh ripping up the contract according to him and i yeah. mean you know that's goes against some of our expectations of gene simmons and it's probably not that simple you know he probably had some other motivation like I don't know. I'm in a touring rock band and uh, maybe I don't have that much time to, <laughs> to keep shopping this demo. That's what he said in that his manager turned it down. But I'm I'm on the personal welcoming Gene Simmons is nice committee, which is a very rare thing that most people just they take everything at face value. And they don't realize he's just a wrestling bad guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I agree with you there. And so when you're actually in a room with Gene Simmons if he wants something for you and or he's he's not threatened by you he's like the uncle that you wish you had that yeah. he's he's really funny really smart really patient and like yes he has an ego but he's happy to talk about himself because he's really really proud of it so all of my in person gene simmons interactions were just like A++ because I was expecting this mean, restrictive guy who's going to make fun of me. And I tried to, you know, I never want to overstay my welcome with interviews except yours. Yeah, um, I'm, trying yeah. to, I'm trying to see if after six hours you you go, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got time. I've still got time. I'm not in a rush. I, but, you know, that one is not about our. I'll tell you, look, I accidentally paid for Zoom business or whatever. I got to get my money's worth. We are. <laughs> I get it. Uncle Gene taught you well. So, yes. so first time that I, I interviewed Gene, which was a fluke, that I was writing for this really big clickbait website, and they went, we don't want to talk to Gene Simmons, do you? Oh, uh, yeah. And so I said to Gene's handler on site, you know, like, how long do I have? And they go, oh, is, is 60 minutes enough? I went, oh, I'll, I'll just do like 25, 20 minutes. And they're like, oh, take your time. So I wrapped it after 2025. And they're like, you could have more time with him. I'm like, but uh, okay. So I did another five or 10. And they're like, you can talk to him more. I went, uh, okay, a little bit. And then I gave him a gift, uh, a CD of a Jan and Dean album. And mm -hmm. then he wanted to talk to me even more. And then I'm trying to get so out cool. of there. And then they go, do you want to sign? Do you want a signed photo? Yeah. And again, I thought I was done and they kept letting me hang out. So then I cr like crossed the barrier and go, what can I ask Gene Simmons that he's probably not been answered that I'm curious about? So I threw a question where I said, uh, when you got sampled by Tone Loke on, um, is it Funky Cold Medina? Probably because yeah. it wouldn't be Wild Thing. Yeah, Wild Thing sampled Van Halen mm. and Funky Cold Medina sampled Christine 16, I think. Mm. And so I asked him, hey, when you got sampled, did you get paid? And he's like signing this stack of autograph photos, like Gene Simmons 
dollar sign, Gene Simmons, dollar sign, Gene. <laughs> and I asked him that question. He looks up at me and he licks his finger. Go, love this guy he's great yeah no i mean that's great and uh um yes the thing about the gimmick is 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 a really good point and and i think some that's the thing is we have these ideas about people and you hear stories and then sometimes it's like okay that's some business thing that i had nothing to do with and and so they might actually be nice to me and just the fact that you know, um, I'm trying to think of it. And then you hear like Ellen or, you know, these people who <laughs> oh, I that slow one. burn when people get, you know, completely destroyed and are revealed, you know, and that's because it's an, it's a dysfunctional environment, you know, so it actually can't work after a period of time. Yeah. Yes. Ellen, I knew about that years in advance because I had an old friend who was a field director on that show. And she mm. one day when they weren't taping and I was in Burbank, she goes, do you want a tour? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, well, here's Ellen's dressing room and here's the commissary. So I saw the whole thing and I heard Ellen was a no eye contact person back then. That was probably 2010. And another person I lived with said, told like a bad Ellen story or two. And People would be talking to me in conversation who are not in entertainment to like, oh, she's the nicest. You know that she gave away blank and blank to her audience. You go, yeah, that's corporate sponsorship. That's not her money. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I kind of find it's the exact opposite where, you know, David Lee Roth is this smiley, smiley guy that talks how he's there to sell smiles. And then the offstage tape is about zero percent related to any of that and then you talk about gene simmons who we think is this mean mean guy and then yeah. if you look at all the charity work he does yeah whether there's tax write-offs but like feeding start starving children and taking care of veterans yeah all that's it, it's like he's robin hood he's taking from the rich and giving to the poor yeah i mean he's uh it's something where you watch a video like the classic clip of uh, "Hi, I'm Gene Simmons from Kiss." Hi, I'm Paul Stanley from Kiss. Hi, I'm Paul Stanley from Kiss. And, and yeah, and then it goes, "I'm this friendly." <laughs> and uh, it's you know the famous "Hey, look, it's rock, look, it's rock and roll" um, yeah. clip. Gene is just furious with uh, uh, Ace Frehley after maybe the by the second time they're trying it and uh you know he's not saying anything but he's just he's and you kind of when you perceive negativity in a clip of something you know you kind of get this bias against the person a lot of the time just because you're like oh he seems mad at this funny clip and it's like no ace really is excuse me excuse me uh completely unmanageable ace really yes. completely um you know out to launch he's he's endangered he's he's endangered he's kind of ruined kiss in a way because yes. he's like the sort of the the secret sauce of kiss you know he's this awesome presence and he he's just drunk all the time and he's uh, not gonna uh, not Nick, allegedly 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 drunk all the time right allegedly drunk all yeah the time. you know what nick ferrara or whoever his attorney is uh it's really yeah. ferrara coming after you. so he's allegedly, allegedly intoxicated and uh correct yeah allegedly intoxicated i don't want to implicate you 
And, and yeah. I'm sure that I, because I haven't legally vetted every solo podcast I do, I've really probably got some problems. Now, uh, but, but what you're saying, I love the fact that you're at that realization. It's probably your background as a comic and a person in punk rock to mm-hmm. see that. That usually the people are the exact opposite. That's the first thing of the on-camera, on-screen persona. But then mm-hmm. also that the the fun person could actually be the one screwing it up for everybody. So like yeah. Gina and Paul are trying to run a business yeah. and they're trying to continue this brand that's basically for everybody. And then there comes Ace on Tom Snyder with a like, but I'm actually a plumber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you look at the movie, which he was intoxicated allegedly, allegedly. during the filming of. And you look at every interview, and yes, he's fun slash funny, but then he couldn't be depended on to show up necessarily yeah. or record or give material. So you, I think you reach that point where at first you go, Ace is the soul of Kiss. And then eventually you realize, give that guy as many chances as you want, and he's always going to disappoint you. Yeah, and and at and is it a, it's about longevity and in in a, in a lot of ways and and so when you kind of see things play out this way, actually, you know the um, musical feud that I've been interested in the last uh, few days is third base. <laughs> wait, 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 there MC Search is feuding with Pete Rock. Pete Nice, Pete Nice, Pete Nice. Uh, um, it's oh. Prime Minister Pete Nice. Like so, so Search went on. He did like a, a press tour, and uh, he he went on uh, Math Hoffa show, which is this sort of uh, popular video podcast, and he was talking about royalties. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, wow, like he knows a lot about royalties, and this is really interesting. Yeah. Used to be an AR guy, yeah. Stuff, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is pretty interesting." And then I'm kind of like, and you know, you, you might have seen it in in sort of the TikTok of uh, like like the of news. You'll always see something. Oh, search says third base and hammer had a thing. Like, there's always a search sold uh, his Nas masters that he had not long ago, and Nas said nice things about him in it. So I was kind of like, a search seems all right. He also talked about addiction in in this, so I was like, "Well, this is interesting." But what he's at, he's had some shit with Pete Nice for like thirteen years or something. He's had his co um, MC in third base. Uh, apparently, Serge's wife. He brought his wife on tour, which was a no no according to Pete Nice. Uh, the I think there must have been some sort of static. Uh, Search says uh, Pete called his wife a name, and you can find a clip online of Search saying stuff on some radio show, and Pete calling in and just calling like hard bullshit on like everything he says, and calling him a pathological liar, and them yelling at each other for like five minutes, and it's still a rift. And it sounds to me, and Search also started this business where they were like. Or or join some kind of business allegedly. I I, I want to say I might be getting this wrong. Is that enough of a clarification? When you say yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And uh, where they got in trouble for like trying to turn every song on Spotify into like an NFT without informing the artist. Oh. Like he got into some crypto NFT stuff, and well. that's never a good sign. And uh, 
So, so that is a very interesting kind of thing to me because there's, there's a lot of different aspects. It's like search is sort of telling stories and maybe exaggerating his role in them. Like he said that, I don't know. He said something about like inspired, like having something to do with the Rakim song, follow the leader, which is just like, and kind of like writing for Rakim, like, which is, is insane. If you think about like the best rapper, like the most respected rapper, even if that happened, it's like, don't come out and say you did. <laughs> oh, I, I have to cut you off because I want to know if you've seen this. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, you know how, I shouldn't say, you know how, MC Search's talk show. Which Did you one? See the he white had... rapper show? Or no. That, was, that <laughs> uh, was what he produced. Oh, he did have that, that reality kind of thing. But he, he started a, po- a yeah, podcast or a talk show? What, what is this? He had a TV syndicated daytime talk show, like a Maury Povich <laughs> or a Sally Jesse Raphael. <laughs> In, I was, um, I'll roughly guess 2004, 2005, and he definitely wants this gun. But on YouTube, you could f- find this video of Opie and Anthony. Uh, did, did you know who Opie and Anthony were? Yes, of course. I, yeah. hey, not everybody knows it. They weren't in, in every market. Howard, but Stern, remember, I'm a big Howard Stern fan, and even I didn't, I mean, I'm so biased against Opie and Anthony, and I, frankly, I feel vindicated. And, uh, I was until I saw the real side of everything. And then you learn like the controlling state that Howard had on everybody and oh, how yeah. every, everybody related to Howard Stern is the exact opposite of how they are on there, off there. Like Jackie, the joke man <laughs> is so nice. If I email Jackie, the joke man, probably within 30 minutes, he's going to write back. Well, you know, I stumped Jackie. I got a shirt. When I was a teenager, that was one of my entrees. Into Do you comedy. have the shirt still? Uh, I think somewhere. And Hot I dogs like, and donuts. No, no, it was uh, just I stumped Jackie the joke man. Very awesome. classic. And uh, but but um, the the uh, he he was uh, you know he didn't like my second round of jokes, but I'll give it to him. Yeah, Jack, Jackie's nice. I I I mean. I, I had uh, some experience with some of those guys, uh, the 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 C team back in the day, thanks to Danko, and uh, he knew Jim Florentine. Oh, so, he was still hilarious and still representing metal in a great way. He was very nice, uh, and then Richard Christie was nice. Oh, yeah. we all saw we all saw Lover Boy together. Thumbs up. I, yeah, I see some Mike Reno. Yeah, and then it was at. Uh, Healy's, which was Jeff Healy from the Blind Guitar, who you know who he is. The the Jeff Blind Healy Guitars from Roadhouse, oh, one yeah. of Canada's uh, uh, big '80s blues experts. <laughs> you know, I, and it I, was at, at his bar, Healy's. I did not know he had a bar, and that is fantastic. Uh, it used I, to I, be a goth bar called Sanctuary, or was I don't know if it was Sanctuary, but it was a goth bar in a basement, and then it became Healy's. So, so to finish that Opie and Anthony thought, and then I have a Canadian yeah. question for you. Okay, so mm-hmm. there is a compilation of Opie and Anthony and Jim Norton watching highlights from the MC Search show. And basically, he's one of those people where he has at-risk youth and or people are playing up their urban roots. And, oh you know, he has to interrupt them and go, I'm going to be real with you. He has to do that kind of stuff. But then you have to put aside that as great as MC Search and Third Base were, 
he is a prep school kid of Jewish descent. He is not from the hood. No, that's what I'm saying. It's like Pete Nice. I think at this point, Pete Nice is because Pete Nice right now is on this other HBO show uh, about hip hop, uh, Hall of, the Hip Hop Hall of Fame. And uh, he seems like he's genuinely about hip hop, whereas MC Search is genuinely about MC Search. And, uh, yeah. you know, th- that's uh, uh, that's whereas. If you watch, it's kind of like what's happening with Cat Williams right now, you know, where everyone is like, oh, Cat Williams, this is really telling about who, about people's age. Because, like, Opie and Anthony era, Howard Stern era, um, this would be every fourth interview would be this level of shit talking of people and things, you know, like they, if there was a person and now because of the hype machine being so important to getting more people to watch it, everyone's also Cat Williams himself has been saying this stuff anytime he gets a chance to be interviewed for about 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so I don't know why this time it's more important. <laughs> you know? So I, uh, one of my regular listeners of the the podcast I do about Roth was texting me about Cat Williams today, and I think that Cat Williams and David Lee Roth, on a personal level, have some of the same issues. Allegedly, allegedly, they're comparable mm-hmm. in terms of what they do and the problems that they have. The difference is. If Cat Williams hits that stage, he's going to kill. He's still a great comic. He's so funny. So you could put aside the fact that he's troubled and erratic. If you put David Lee Roth on a stage, I I don't want to hear it. It's going to be bad. (laughs) So I can tolerate someone being difficult and not making great life choices if the art is still awesome, if that makes sense. So what? prompted you to because you don't have a uh uh lifelong uh what would you call it um obsession for his entire body of work yeah uh which is you know basically an impossible thing with david lee roth because of the some of the some of the things suspect of it yes well and also because it's just like he's never had a consistent um group of people to bounce ideas off of and so yes. he's 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 never he he's kind of van halen worked because of the con- editor the co-writer the manager yeah. the yes, person and also and just quality. yeah just how weird that how that combination shouldn't have worked. you know like it was it was a guy doing these kind of like cabaret r&b vocals over you know like some of the best musicianship you've heard you know and 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 um and it was fun it was but it but it had that really and it was catchy and then it was kind of like okay now he's covering california girls you know and that was or you know now he's climbing a mountain and he made a song around how he climbs you know like and and that's in the 80s that's still like towards the peak of his career you know absolutely and to to add a little color to what you're saying you know just like paradise is a brett tuggle song brett tuggle is his keyboardist who was for a long time with fleetwood mac page coverdale 
he of Lindsey Buckingham solo. Uh, he died within the last, I, th- I think, about a year ago. Just a h- awesome guy. So that mm-hmm. song is a Brett Tuggle song that Dave quote co-wrote. Right. Um, you look at the the song "A Little Ain't Enough." That's a great David Lee Roth hit that Dave co-wrote. It's really a Robbie Neville song. Rob came up with some of the lyrics also. So he demoed it, came up with the music, all the parts, some of the lyrics, but it's a David Lee Roth, Robbie Neville song. And so I think that if he had the right collaborator, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai, Brett Tuggle, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a great song. But a 100% David Lee Roth idea or song is always going to miss the mark. You've got to marry your manager. You've got to go Ozzy style. And then it's like, yeah. you know, Ozzy's uh, all the, you know, copied uh, Van Halen as someone like like the the process or, or David Lee Roth. I don't remember what it was like. He dyed his hair orange and uh, <laughs> you wrote about it. And but the song, I mean, you get Randy Rhodes, you got that. The, the song, he, he 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 is very willing to get assistance and it might be with the help of, of Sharon. But it's like because of that, you know, up to like Whitfield Crane doing the the uh, hats in the cradle. Thing. Uh, well cats and crane but woodfield crane apparently for the later uh black sabbath tours was behind a curtain um i didn't know he did that bed track i knew that um robert mason who's now in warrant did that but i didn't know that whitfield crane did that for ozzy i'll tell you i i absolutely believe it because i was at my friend actually this is uh my friend's birthday party it was actually neil hamburger's birthday it was at this birthday party, and then Whitfield Crane, someone goes, "Oh, here's Wit. He's gonna play a song because it was like a there was a musical thing," and uh, I didn't know who it was. And he, this person, then does like the greatest. And Eric Paparazzi was in the backing band for this thing. He's uh, er- Eric uh, is in a lot of these LA. Um, he's an amazing session musician. He's uh, er- er- Eric. Eric. Uh, did all the music for Neil Hamburger's uh oh, last couple wow. of years. and it's it's and 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 the new one is a concept record that's a musical and the first song is sung by sung by Neil what? Finn from oh, I mean, House and the woman from Bow Wow Annabelle Wynn or something and, like that. And, yeah. Yeah. And um there's a couple of other people who sing awesome. on he also sings some songs. It's called Seasonal Depression Suite. Like a like a hotel suite, and I think there's a song that's honestly about going to see the Country Bears movie and having to leave repeatedly because it was so bad. I really think there's a song he sings that's just about going to a screening of the Country Bears and like occasionally taking breaks because he didn't like it. Oh, so so <laughs> so yeah, so Whit anyway, at the party. Yeah, so so Whitfield performed the the greatest. I didn't even know it was until afterwards. They're like, "Oh, that was Whitfield Crane from Ugly Joe. What he performed the greatest ACDC cover I have ever yeah. seen someone do. It was like he really pulled it. I had no idea he was that uh, talented, you know. And then so once I saw that, I was like, "Oh, of course he would do this." Aussie kind of approximation because um he could easily do it. And I think that maybe DLR's ego and and lack of marrying his manager um just has led to these things where he's just not able to, like you said, rely 
on other people, you know, to it's the lead singer uh, uh, curse, you know, if you aren't the primary songwriter and you don't play on like a, a yeah. crazy level, you know, uh, you really have to just submit to being at the mercy of who you're playing with. I mean, Rollins, you know, like got these people for Rollins band that were just like yes. really good players, you know, Henry Rollins. And, and um, in, in fact, it was probably a nice break from, from black flag. It's probably much more. For sure, for sure. Wait, wait, it's an underrated yeah. album. And, and yeah. And even, you know, because he's someone who's like, okay, so I came in and had the luxury of being able to cover all of these amazing songs, like like to re-record all of these amazing songs they already had. Then he's in Black Flag, and it's like you know two thirds of it's yes. shit. I'm not <laughs> not really not not like his fault, Greg Ginn's you know fault. necessarily. Yeah. You know, it's like Greg Ginn's fault, and and it's like yeah, okay, so like the album slip it in's kind of cool, and uh, like uh, my war's pretty awesome, you know, but 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 but. But my war is also pretty awesome in the same way that like kind of metal machine oh, music is rude. like so bad it's good. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just an endurance test, you know. And and but the more that people listen to it generationally, the more influential it, it becomes, and the more music <laughs> is is ruined. But <laughs> well, well, Rollins, I, I don't know if you remember. It was Greg who recommended My War to me, by the way. It was Greg Turkington who was like, go check out My War. I love me <laughs> okay. intentionally so bad albums. Yeah. I love it. And I think that uh, Eat Him and Smile by David Lee Roth in Spanish, Son Rusa Salvaje is up there. You'll you'll love it. And it is on Spotify. Yeah, no, I literally went, play Sonia Salvaje to like the Google Home. And it just was like, no, Maybe no. <laughs> you know, uh, it's definitely on YouTube on on bootleg postings. I love me a bad in unintentionally bad album, and you know, just about all of our favorite artists have an album like that, or they have a single that's totally like you know McCartney with temporary secretaries, god awful. <laughs> Every everyone has that era where like they shouldn't have but they did the beach boys have plenty of that johnny carson oh my god yeah uh but why did you call it dlr book how, how david lee roth changed the world why why did you maybe that's that's a good question for you right now why DLR book itself was an homage to his studio album from the late nineties called DLR album. Or I'm sorry, I do DLR understand band. that that was viewed as a return to a potential return to form. Um, and then also in general, people a lot of people search for him online as DLR. So I thought that would hit all the SEO in terms of how he changed the world. I think that part I don't remember if my literary agent was telling me it's got to have this and it's got to have that, but. Uh, the more I got into it, you know, I do think he changed the world because him and Van Halen were both super instrumental to early MTV. Early MTV yeah. showed a lot of artists. I mean, I'm, let me say this differently. There's a few artists that just showed a lot and they were always behind. So without early MTV, Duran Duran, where would they have been? Wham! Yeah. You know, there's certain artists. Rod Stewart was another one who was early MTV. Yet early MTV did not embrace 
Farner, Boston, Sticks, a yeah. lot of bands along those lines. So certain bands were just the right look at the right time. Van Halen was that way. So did early MTV change the world? Without a doubt. And then as you go into different ventures and different things, you'll see that certain things that Dave says do get said a lot widely, whether or not they're um, attributed to him or whether or not he actually was the first person to say it. Mm-hmm. So I look at that and I also look at the fact that um, there are cover band that got huge. Most yeah. of your favorite bands were not a cover band that got huge. So then you look at the fact that they were able to have so many covers as hits. That's you know the craze of the last 10, 15 years about how many bands go, do we have another good song in us? No. How about a covers record? I yeah, just see yeah. the DNA of him and Van Halen in so many places. And it, you don't really notice it until you connect all the dots. And, you, and, you know, as a front person, it's also... Yeah, uh, all the hair metal bands kind of use David Lee Roth as a template. And when you shouldn't use blanket like all or every. Yeah. Okay, so you're telling me Vince Neil from Motley Crue and Brett Michaels, really? They weren't inspired by Dave? Yeah, I mean, and also I think I think it went beyond that, you know, like having sort of come into musical like performance age in the mid to especially the late 90s, there was such a resurgence of um, kind of a combination of, of uh, punk rock stuff uh, with alt stuff and, and modern garage rock and then guitar rock. Uh, and and uh, David Lee Roth was viewed as like an amazing front man. And certainly yeah. I did some kicks on stage and, you know, I was really interested in being funny on stage, although I would say he was not, uh, he's not a hundred percent self-aware. No, <laughs> no, you know, not. no, he's and not. He tries to do this sort of, uh, link to the camera, you know, like that was such a, you talk about the MTV influence. It's like, he certainly had that element, uh, gave that element of sort of like semi self-aware stuff that you'd see. In semi, like yes. The beginning of um, the black or white video, I think it is where it's like George went and the guitar oh, solo okay. and all that stuff. You know, it's like that sort of, this is a, a bit like a parody, but it's still rock star shit. You know, and and like that was that was that's kind of his, his thing, and I think that's a very hard and often embarrassing <laughs> line to walk. I mean, remember that video where Bon Jovi were trying to like stay relevant in the late '90s, and they had the kids skateboarding in the mall, and he's listening. He goes to this video thing at like a, a music store, and he's watching these like parodies of oh the Dr. Dre guy, Snoop and Dr. Dre. Oh yeah so embarrassing you know like that's another great example of of that like yeah and i also we're gonna get cool again by making fun of the shit that's popular like (laughs) yeah and there's so many examples of that and you know the just a gigolo video has that in there where Mm. and that's you know 1985 where he uh invades cindy lopper's kitchen uh, he's on the roof with a Billy Idol, who I think gets electrocuted. He's, he's uh, getting around. electrocuted back then. 
Yeah. Um, and then also a Michael Jackson that gets electrocuted, maybe. Always. Everyone was always taking this Michael Jackson, making it so funny that Michael Jackson like got electrocuted and caught fire. Yeah, that 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 really ages well that you made fun of a person having a catastrophic accident. <laughs> Neil Young was the worst for that. Yeah, the was it the, the this buds for uh, the songs this for you? notes for this notes this, for you. Yeah, so he Dave kind of did that video, I guess, ten years before Bon Jovi. With I think he also makes fun of Motley Crue in that. Maybe they're on fire. Why is everyone on fire or electrocuted in Dave's video? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, it's. I, Musicians, uh, they're <laughs> completely. I'm he sorry. makes I, fun of Willie Nelson too. Um, the dancing boy George. There might be one other, um, and it, he's also kind of making fun of central casting in a way and TV studios. I guess before UHF, he pioneered that kind of thing. So he was he's big on the parody, but it's kind of like the funniest musician is still not a funny comedian. <laughs> so I, I, I am I am actually a, a wonderful example of that. <laughs> no, no, you get my respect, Nick, and that's why we're here. But well, I think that if you take a musician that we think is really funny between songs, and then if you were to give that same banter to an actual comic, it would... It's a nightmare. I've, I've said this often. You know, it's kind of like... Uh, yeah, that they they um, it, it's musicians get so much uh, space um, because of uh, what they do, being so hypnotic and 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 uh, being being what people hear when they're having great moments or get through when they're having tough moments. So uh, you know, Ted Nugent went how many decades? before people were like you know he's this is kind of gotten out of control you know but he was always like you know and it's, it's like uh and and you you know people go oh no the culture is just it's cancel culture it's like no he's he's fucking out out to lunch it just took a while marilyn manson you know a similar thing you know where people were kind of like all right like the bowling for columbine proved he's smart kind of uh, a superficial thing to say has now run its course. <laughs> it's like, what are we looking at? So I think that most of these musicians that we think are hilarious mm -hmm. are just, they are not funny. So when the wife and I watched about six months ago or so, when they released Van Halen 84 Donington, someone bootlegged it. You know, we've been waiting 30 years to see that because it's never been out. And was this in the UK? Okay, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's like the film cuts out of parts, but it's pretty solid video and audio. And when you watch Dave have his couple minutes on stage where he's telling a story, you as a comic would watch and go, he that four minute story should have been about 25 seconds. That yeah. is a lack of comedic timing and substance. There's no premise, there's no tag. Mm -hmm. This is also a rape joke <laughs> right now yeah. this does not right. age very well yeah yeah <laughs> this sounds like uh 80s 80s concert banter for sure but but yeah. I'll, t I'll tell you the funniest musician that nobody gives credit for being funny david coverdale for white snake really yeah 
He's why. Um, his stage raps are good, but his interviews are really solid. It's more like he he read a joke book on every self-deprecating one-liner. Oh, <laughs> he could have, and he just has it like it's like and how how white was my snake? Like he does, <laughs> <laughs> he has all that. And you go, Coverdale, you scoundrel. Yeah, yeah. So he's like funny, but kind of like in a in a very practiced kind of like I've got to be funny for my interviews, and I'm going to be the best funny interview of all the yes. rock frontmen. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Coverdale could kill it as a one liner comic. No one has ever talked about that before, but I I could watch ninety minutes of like the wife and I the other day, like doing that. Kind of <laughs> you lived in the states for thirty five years. You shouldn't have that accent anymore. We <laughs> a character to put on. You live in Nevada. There's no oh British people around you. Well, look, Darren. I think we should uh, chat chat more. We should. Uh, you're welcome to come back uh, in the in the future. Thank you, Nick. Um, I, 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 I passed. This is like a comedy club. There's, uh, I passed. I can, I can. I knew, that material I knew. Here. You've, you've been passed. Yes, you've been passed onto the, uh, in, in screwed in in. I have no idea how many people are listening to this podcast. I hope it's enough. I could do a bringer show. Difference. You could definitely, if you bring five listeners to this podcast, uh, you can do an hour another hour and a half i'll be middling in about two years right <laughs> yeah okay yeah. Cool. Uh, it'll still be bringer but but you'll be middling you know and uh by middling i don't mean performing in the middle i yeah. mean i mean middling yeah i'll take it no thank you for uh, me. a pleasure oh yeah and what you do so where can they thank you where can they uh hear your uh or read read the book um, um sure uh, dlr book how david lee roth changed the world by Darren Paltrowitz. The book is up at Van Halen store, Amazon, Walmart, Target, whatever your preferred book re- retailer has it, they'll have it online. And the Paltrowcast show, not just Apple, Spotify, but also TV, local now, which Byron Allen owns. And you should pay your respects to Byron Allen because he's going to own everything very soon. <laughs> and uh, DLRcast, uh, that is just audio, but Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, et cetera. And just put my name in the mm-hmm. Google machine and you'll see way too much. And if somebody wants you as a private investigator in in the uh, Long Island, New York area, uh, I would say nationwide we can do it. I, I've oh, I've hired cool. out to a, an investigator or two in Canada. So if you need wow. global stuff, we can get it done. But uh, yeah, you can find me through the contact info on paltrocast.com and I'm pretty easy to find. I I, lo- I found you pretty easily when I did my quote <laughs> research. Unquote. Yeah, just put the name in Google, email, and usually it comes up. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I, uh, I'd be glad to have you back, and uh, I'll probably stop the re- not recording, but the actual on the record now. And that was my chat with Darren, Darren Paltowitz. I hope you liked it. It was a nice chunky one. Who doesn't love a chunky one? I do love one. Anyway, uh, be sure to check out DLR book. The Amazon link is in my. Uh, episode notes and also you can just google dlr book plus darren paltrowitz and you'll find a link on amazon and of course i've got links to his podcasts as well and there's going to be more nick flying weekly coming right up i have a couple of other interviews in the can they will come faster don't pause don't you know what i mean when i say pause don't get a dirty mind about it 
And you can see me uh, perform live if you want, do some stand-up comedy, uh, February 28th at Bar Orwell, March 2nd at Comedy Bar, March 9th uh, at the Transac at 9.30 p.m., and March 6 at 2.30 p.m., and March 16th at 9.30 p.m. That's March 9th, 2.30, March 16th, 9.30. Um, I'm keeping it short today. My intros and outros, but that's okay. We get a lot more fun later. Anyway, um, have a wonderful time. Feel free to support the podcast at ko-fi.com slash That's coffee.com slash Bye-bye.